God's Word. Uh, we want to have a posture of listening and reverence uh, for God's Word. And so if you have that Bible, uh, Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 10, if you have one of the black hardcover Bibles, that's on page 948. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. And remember, as we read, we're reading God's Word. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's God's Word. You may be seated. Well, we are inching our way through Romans 12, as evidenced by that Scripture reading. And uh, it really makes sense that we would do it this way, I think, because if you listen to Jesus, what you find is that Jesus says the most important commandments are to love him with everything and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the most important thing according to Jesus. So if we want to grow as disciples, as people who are following Christ, we need to be growing in our love of, of him and we need to be growing in our love of one another. And so as the Apostle Paul spends extended time here in Romans chapter 12 describing what a life of love that is changed by Jesus looks like, it's appropriate that we would pause and that we would slow down and that we would even do what we're doing, which is spending eight weeks, kind of a focused uh, series within the series on love from Romans chapter 12. And so that's what we're going to try to do. I want to remind you here at the outset that you can do a lot of really important and really noticeable and really valuable things, but if you don't have love in it, it's worthless. The Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans 12, also uh, wrote a letter to a church in Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 13, here's what he said uh, to that church. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Look at those verses for just a moment. Speaking in an angelic language, that'd be pretty cool. Prophetic power, understanding all mysteries and knowledge, having so much faith that you can move a mountain. Being willing to sacrifice deeply, even allowing yourself to be burned. Those would be powerful things. And the Apostle Paul says you can do all that. And if the intent, if the motive of love is missing, <clears throat> pointless. Doesn't count. If you don't have love, you're just a banging drum. If you don't have love, you're nothing you gain nothing. And so this is really important, and this is what the Apostle Paul is helping us uh, think through. We saw it last week in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, uh, that Paul started uh, that verse talking about genuine love. And that phrase really kind of summarizes everything we're looking at here in Romans 12. It, look at chapter 12, verse 9. It said, let love be genuine. We said that in the original language, that's just two words. Uh, there's not even a verb. It's just, it just says genuine love. Or love unhypocritical, a love that is, that is authentic, a love that is real, a love that is not playing a part, a love that is not skilled at acting. This is genuine love. And this whole section, this whole chapter really, uh, to a large degree, is about that kind of love. So here's some things we've seen about this so far. Just to review, if you're new with us or you just haven't been with us in the last few weeks, here's some stuff we've been talking about. Uh, some things about genuine love we've seen. We've seen first that genuine love is counter-conforming to the world. Look at verses 1 and 2. 
Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There he's saying, you're going to lay your life down. Your life is going to be offered up to God. You're not living for yourself anymore. You're living for him. And he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And as I said, nothing is more counterconforming to the world than love. The world is all about, make, make a big deal of me. Let me show you how important I am. And love says, let's look at other people. Let's, let's get the attention off of me and on to them. So genuine love is counterconforming to the world. Genuine love also thinks with sober judgment. We saw this back in verse 3. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Think clearly. Don't think of yourself as really important, uh, and don't think of yourself as, as not important at all. Think of yourself with sober judgment. We also see that genuine love uses the gifts that God has given us to be a blessing to other people. We see that in verse 6. Look at verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. God has given you gifts. God has given you natural talents. If you're a follower of Christ, God has given you spiritual gifts. He lists a few of them there in chapter 12. And these gifts are not meant to terminate on you. The gifts are not intended to make you feel better or to make you have some important uh, position. The gifts are there to bless and to serve others. Then we saw last week that genuine love hates evil. Verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil. That word abhor, we said, means disgust. It means to be horrified. It means that this is repugnant. This is disgusting. You, you want to vomit at the thought of evil. Rather than making peace with it, rather than being okay with it, rather than just going, well, that's just who I am, this is saying anything that's contrary to God's law, genuine love hates it. And on the flip side of that, uh, the other thing we saw in verse 9 is that genuine love holds fast to what is good. That word meant glued together, to be adhered. Genuine love uh, holds fast to what is good. Genuine love uh, tries to avoid the sins we could commit and also tries to do the good that we could do. So that's what genuine love is about. And the context of this particular passage really is talking about this kind of love existing within the Christian church, within a family of believers. And that's what it's going to be talking about. Now, these lessons ripple out into the rest of life. They ripple out into other relationships. But, but the context Paul's focusing on here is the kind of love we should have within the church family. And just think about this for a moment. We're not going to be very good at loving the world out there if we can't love the church in here. If we have broken relationships within the church, that, that, that makes it difficult to, to tell the outside world, we really love you, you could come be loved like this. They go, ah, no thanks. And so this is a really important thing for us as a church, not just for our own health and well-being as disciples of Jesus, but also for the mission that God has called us to. So we're going to add some things to that list of five things about genuine love. We're going to add some things today, and here's what we're going to see, is that genuine love is a family mindset, and that genuine love eagerly honors others. So first, genuine love is a family mindset. We're just adding to this list of things that make up genuine Christian love. Genuine Christian love, genuine love adopts a family mindset. 
sees itself as family. I talked last week about how uh, the church struggled in the early days to try to describe love, that the words that were available to describe love, uh, there there was a word that kind of meant passionate love, and there was a word that meant family love, and they said, well, that's part of it, but there's really a, a key word that describes the way God loves us, and the Greek word for that is agape. It's unconditional, uh, un- unmerited, you can't deserve it, you can't do anything to earn it, it's just the way God loves. And that kind of love is described in verse 9 when Paul said, let love be genuine. That's what he was talking about. But in this passage, he's also using these other words for love. He uses a word that talks about a loving like family. That's the word that's used at the beginning of verse 10. In our English translation, it just says love, but there's actually multiple Greek words for love. And in verse 10, love one another is that second one, loving like family. Some translations call it, uh, be devoted to one another. It's this kind of loyal love, this kind of uh, love, uh, you know, blood is thicker than water kind of love. This is, this is seeing it as family. And then you have in the second part of the verse where he says, love one another with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection is that third word, Philadelphia. And you're familiar with that word. You've heard that, for to that city, the city of brotherly love, Right? And the reason that that city was named that is because William Penn was a Quaker who had experienced uh, religious persecution, and when he founded the city of Philadelphia, he wanted it to be a place of religious freedom, he wanted it to be a place of religious tolerance, he wanted it to be a place where the European immigrants could get along well uh, with the Indians and the natives that were there. And by God's grace, that happened, and Philadelphia was that kind of city, and that's why it was such an important city in the early parts of our country. And then the Philadelphia Eagles started, and that's just all, it all went, you know, went downhill from there, right? Not a lot of, Philly, Philly fans are not known for their love at this point anymore. Uh, but but, but here's, here's the point of all that. Paul's using all these words because he's trying to overpower us with a tidal wave of saying, love is a really big deal. All kinds of it really matter for the Christian church. This is a huge part, and specifically, this in verse 10, all has to do with the idea of family. It's loving like family. It's brotherly love. It's being devoted to one another in brotherly love. This this is a, a family description, and I don't know about you, but this for me, this is a mindset shift. This is not even necessary. Paul's not asking them to do anything different. He's saying do it with a different mindset. Do it with a different attitude. See yourself as part of a family. The Bible uses that language. We're called brothers and sisters in Christ. God is our Father. Jesus is our perfect elder brother. But we're family. And, and, and that kind of family mindset leads to a sort of loyalty, a sort of fierceness that, that, that won't back down, that will hold on to people no matter what. Right? All of you have experienced, uh, either in your own life or with someone you know, where they've said something like, man, my brother, he is a mess. And he, I mean, his life is all out of whack, and every time I see him, he needs something, and he always says the wrong thing at the wrong time, and I can never really count on him, but he's my brother. And I love him, because he's my brother. Right? There's that, that family mindset that says, you know what, no matter how screwed up you are, we're still family. It's still my dad. It's still my daughter. It's still my sister. 
There's a family mindset to that, to that that we are supposed to have. Now, I want you to do something, and this feels a little awkward, but I want you to actually look around. Okay, look, not just with your eyes. You can turn your whole head, right? We're all doing it, so it's not like people are staring at you. Just look around. This is, this is family. Now, that feels weird, doesn't it? I mean, we're here in a, in a room of, I don't know, maybe 300 people, most of whom you don't know most of whom you probably won't get to know. People of different ages, people of different stages, people of different ethnicities, people of different family backgrounds, just incredible diversity, more than you would think. Let me actually ask you, this is a, this is a side thing, but I want to ask you, I have a question, and just come up with an answer in your head. What percentage of people in our church do you think have children in the home under 18? All right? Anybody brave enough to shout out? What do you think? Eight? All right. Never mind. Don't shout out. <laughs> Everyone I've asked this just personally has said something like 70 to 80. 70 to 80% of people have kids. It's got to be because they're just everywhere, right? <laughs> you, you know what the truth is? It's really closer to 50%. Only about half of our church have kids in the home under 18. It's just the ones that do have a lot of them. <laughs> right? And so here's why that matters, is sometimes people without kids or people that aren't married or whatever think, oh man, there's nobody here like me. No, about half of us are like you. And yet there are a lot of people that aren't like you. And the nature of the church family is it's, a, it's, it's diverse. And I, I would love for it to be even more diverse. I'd love more age diversity. I'd love more stage of life diversity. I'd love more ethnic diversity. It, but there's a lot of diversity as is. And, and yet when you look around and you go, these people who I don't even know, they're my, they're my family? Okay. I mean, that's... It's hard to sign on to, really, a little bit. It's hard to even understand, right? And depending on your family background confuses it even more. If you come from a really great, healthy, strong family where you really love each other and know each other and enjoy being together, you're like, there's no way I could care about those people as much as I care about this. And if you're from a really jacked up family and you're like, I already got a family. I don't want another one. (laughs) Like, please, not another family, anything but that, right? That's confusing to go, well, if you're telling me to love like family, that ain't going to go very well. And so that becomes tricky. And especially in a bigger church, that's hard, right? When Paul's writing to these churches, these are probably smaller churches, probably made up, you know, this section right here might have been the size of the church. And so it was much more reasonable to say, hey, love like family, and they would, they'd be able to do that. That's why, by the way, we try to get people into smaller groups, whether it's through redemption communities or women's discipleship or student ministries or other things. So you can actually have a group of people that can function like real family. But this is a mindset shift. I don't know exactly how it works. I don't know exactly what it means in a church of 900 people. But what, but, but what it does call us to do is to go, i got to think about this differently. These are not just people that we all kind of shuffled into to a room together. This is, this is family. That affects our thinking. It affects how we do it. So that's the first part. Genuine love adopts a family mindset. Second thing we learn about genuine love here is that genuine love eagerly honors others. Again, Paul is just rattling off all these different things that relate to love, and we're going through them slowly. Uh, This next one comes from the end of verse 10. Uh, At the beginning, he said, love one another with brotherly affection, and then this, outdo one another in showing honor. 
outdo one another in showing honor. The, the Eugene Peterson, in his message paraphrase, uh, paraphrases it as, practice playing second fiddle. Outdo one another in showing honor. And that, that outdoing is kind of an interesting thing. Not all translations use that word, but, but it has with the idea of leading the way. You want to get ahead. If there's a priority to you, it's not honoring yourself, it's honoring someone else. Showing honor. That word honor means reverence. It means respect. It means esteem. So not only are you seeing people as family, but you are seeing them as people made in the image of God. Brothers and sisters who are united at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, who are all saved by sheer grace, and who deserve your respect and your honor and your esteem. And by outdoing one another, it means you're looking for this. You're looking for opportunities to honor other people. Showing honor to give them that respect. Outdoing one another to take the lead in doing so. What would that look like? What would that look like on a practical, daily basis to, to outdo one another in showing honor? Well, I had a couple ideas, two, two things that came to mind. The first is we would listen. Really listen. You ever have a time when you're talking with someone and it feels like you're the only person in the universe because of how they're listening to you? Don't you know how good that makes you feel? Don't you feel so honored? You feel so important? You feel so esteemed? And contrast that with the time when, you know, as soon as someone's phone buzzes, they're checking it, or they're kind of looking through you, or you can tell they're busy, right? I, I really struggle with this personally, like when I'm here on Sundays, because I, I want to build a relationship with and love as many people as I can. And so I'll be talking to somebody, and I'll be trying to like, just, okay, just you and me, right? And behind them is like someone that's like, hey, you know, and I'm like, it's like, if I, if I ignore that person, then I'm a jerk to them. But if I wave back, then I'm a jerk to this person. And you just never really know what to do. But, but most of life isn't like that. Most of life is your kids are real excited about some silly play they started. Or your wife is giving you a, a list of things to pick up from the store. And, and you honor those people. By listening, by giving them your undivided attention. Not listening just to sort of wait for the break so that you can jump in with what you want to say, but listening, caring about what they are going to say. This is a huge contrast to how most of us think. Most of us are just sort of wait for people to stop talking so we can start talking. And uh, one of my favorite examples of that is Brian Regan. He's a comedian. Uh, one of my favorite comedians, and he has a, a spot where he talks about the people that do that, people that just wait for your lips to stop so they can talk, what they are is they are called me monsters. So take a look at him describing that. I'm actually kind of quiet off stage. A lot of people don't realize that. I was at a dinner party recently, a bunch of people that I don't know. One guy talking plenty for everybody. Me, myself, right? And then I, and then myself, right? Me, me. I couldn't tell this one about I because I was talking about myself, and then me, 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 me. Beware the me monster. So I tried to jump in with a little story. I don't want to just sit there the whole night. Right when I'm done with my story, this guy goes, that ain't nothing. <laughs> oh, well, didn't mean to waste everybody's time. 
telling my nothing story. Here, let Marco Polo speak. He's back with tales of adventure. My story ain't nothing. Maybe it wasn't, because I made the mistake of trying to tell a story about having only two wisdom teeth pulled, and I learned a lesson. Don't ever try to tell a two wisdom tooth story, because you ain't going nowhere. Before wisdom teeth people are gonna parachute in and cut you off at the pass. Halt, halt with your two wisdom tooth tail. You will never complete one, trust me. I'm trying to tell my story. You know, I had some wisdom teeth pulled. I had, um, I had two, I had four pulled. Oh, okay. No, five, no, nine. I had nine wisdom teeth pulled. All of mine were impacted. They were all coming upside down. The roots were wrapped around my tongue, coming out my nose. They were tusks. I was a warthog. No anesthesia. They pulled them out with pliers. I was eating corn on the cob that afternoon. Pin the blue ribbon upon his chest. That knocks the socks off of my wisdom tooth tail. Why do people need to top other people? I've never understood it and I see it all the time. Obviously people get something out of it. At best, people wait for your lips to stop. Yeah, as soon as... Okay, yeah, you, me! You, me! You see the difference? You see, you see that? Now I do. What is it about the human condition people get something out of that? Yeah. That's funny. All right, you, me. And that, that last question, that's a pretty, you know, he's laughing, but that's a, that's a good question. What is it about the human condition that people get something out of that? Well, what it is, is that thing in all of us that says, praise me, look at me, aren't I great? And this passage, instead of, calls us to be people who instead of going, you, me, what if we were people that said, me, you, me, you, see the difference? See how great you are? See what you did? What if we became people like that, who really listened and really cared and really then looked for opportunities to notice the good in other people rather than noticing the bad to make ourselves feel better? That'd be what it would look like to really show honor, outdo one another in showing honor. Me, you. Second thing I think we would do if we were going to really uh, take this to heart and change as a result of it is we would express encouragement to other people. We would, we would, whether in written form, maybe through a card or through a note, uh, maybe through a word, maybe through a posting in some sort of media, or you can make a video. I mean, technology, you can do all kinds of things today. You can rent a, a plane and fly it in the sky. I mean, whatever you would want to do, but something that would encourage and honor other people, right? How often do you see someone do something? You're like, that was awesome. That was cool, man. That was so nice that you did that. I'm so thankful for that, but you never say it. You just sort of file it away, and you think, man, that person's great. Tell them. Don't keep it to yourself. Tell them. Encourage them. That's one of the things I think this passage calls us to do, is to encourage one another. You see uh, some evidence of God at work in someone? Encourage them. Right? I've never, ever, in, in 10 years of being a pastor, had someone say, you know what, I'm fed up with this church. It is too encouraging. 
But I have had a lot of people say, I don't feel like anyone knows me or really cares that I'm there. And you know what? I know that that's not true. But often, because we don't say something, it feels like that's true. And so we wanted to put this into practice, even today. And so a couple weeks ago on The City, which is our church's kind of online private network where we share prayer requests and discuss different things and and share information, I put a thing out there and invited people uh, to be able to write something about someone that they thought deserved honor, someone that they thought uh, should be praised for something they did. And we got a lot of responses, uh, more than I can share in this particular service. Um, and I'm going to po- write a blog post that will be on our website tomorrow that will have all the different things and all the different people that were honored. And, and, uh, but I wanted to take a moment and honor a few people that specifically uh, got mentioned, and I thought a lot of us would appreciate uh, what people had to say about them. So the first person that we want to honor today, just as we try to apply Romans 12.10, is Heather Lingelbach. Heather Lingelbach. And Amy O'Rear, uh, who just went through a really difficult uh, bike accident, she had this to say about Heather. She said, Heather has single-handedly taken the lead coordinating help for us since my accident. She has blessed our family with special meals for our son, helping care for our son, helping with transportation, and offering help and prayer whenever needed. I am impressed with her selfless, matter-of-fact attitude and huge heart. Our family has been blessed, and we are grateful for her selfless, caring heart. Thank you, Heather. You rock. Let's honor Heather for that. Yeah. Someone using their gifts to be a blessing to other people. That person deserves honor. The next person we want to honor is Clay Adams. Uh, here's what Nathan Jarrett had to say about Clay. He said, I don't know anyone who uses their skills to serve the needs of others as much as Clay Adams. I wish I had the ability to help him as much as he's helped me. He's come over to my house and fixed cars and water heaters. I'm just unable to really fully describe how generous he is with his time. I think Clay has a working knowledge of all things that require tools. Just a really patient guy who has always seemed eager to help out and lend a hand. Let's honor Clay for that. You know, no one ever asked me to come over to their house to fix anything, because I, I just would bring a phone book and say, here's someone you could call, and I'd probably think you call Clay, right? But, but that he's using his gifts all the time, all, all of life, to be able to do that. Really encouraging. Another person we want to honor is LaDonna Blakemore. And uh, Rebecca Lovell had this to say about LaDonna. She said, I would like to honor LaDonna because she was the first woman who reached out to me when we first started attending the church in the summer of 2010. We were in a very difficult place and relying on God one day at a time in faith. God really used LaDonna as his hands and feet to show that he had not forgotten us. Just having someone care and enter into the pain and brokenness shone a bright light into what seemed to be darkness all around. I will never forget the difference that made. Let's honor LaDonna for that. Uh, Tina Brown uh, has a, as a junior high student, and she wrote in this about uh, our student director, Josh Watt. She said, so thankful to Josh and his team for pouring into our daughter and all the youth every week. Jesus oozes all over Josh and his team, and I'm one thankful mama. And that's right. Josh deserves some honor. He does a great job. He loves those students, man, and it's a great ministry. 
The next person that deserves some honor are John and Tamara Dirks. I loved what Lori Luss had to say about her experience of their ministry. She said, when I first started attending Gateway, uh, the Dirks were greeters along the sidewalk leading to the entrance. Going to a new church was a little challenging for me, and I often felt disconnected, except when I would walk past the Dirks. They were relentless in a very good way at being kind and welcoming in a genuine way. Each week, they would follow up and ask about things we'd discussed the week before. I can't say how much their kindness meant and still means. Isn't that awesome? And then this next one, this, this one's fun, is, is of all the different uh, people that were honored and all the different things that came in, uh, this next person uh, was by far honored the most. So the most number of people wrote something about her. And uh, she's a, a lady that, that works very faithfully with our kids' ministry and then also with childcare uh, through the week, and that's Alex Thornburg. And so a number of people, I, I had to string a whole bunch of quotes together here, um, from people is uh, Nikki Reeves said she's always ready with a hug for me and for all the little babies she cares for on a regular basis at church I love her heart of service and encouragement Danielle Indy said thank you for faithfully watching my kids and freeing me up to do Redemption Kids VBS and take classes at church I honestly could not do ministry without your help thank you and Mark Andrus and Ellen Mars, I grouped this kind of together. They said, with great humility, she selflessly serves at just about every opportunity she gets. She takes great pride in preparing her room and having things in order before the families and children arrive. She goes above and beyond. Simply put, she rocks. And to get this, today is also Alex's birthday. So let's honor Alex Thornburg. Yeah. You deserve it. And then this last one, and a lot of people in our church will really relate to this, is uh, there's a group of people, a segment of people that, if you think about it like this person did, you'll realize they really deserve some honor. And that's our Redemption Kids volunteers. I love what Christy Brazelton uh, wrote about this. She said, what amazing people these blue-shirted superheroes are. To spend their time and energy in a classroom full of kids coming down from their Saturday sugar highs, these are clearly folks to be honored. While I spend great amounts of my time and energy hiding from my children, they welcome them with open arms every Sunday, whether they skip through the door with a winsome smile or have to be pried off my leg screaming bloody murder. I hope they don't take these incidents personally. I honor my kids' teachers and helpers for their faithful service and gigantic hearts. So listen, if you have served with kids' ministry or if you're wearing a blue shirt now because you served today, will you stand? We want to honor you and thank you for that ministry. Stand up. Come on. Thank you. Yeah. You deserve it. Thank you. Thank you. Heard someone say just the other day, we give glory to God and we give honor to people. And, and the glory does go to him, but, but God enables people who are willing to do things, and they do them, and they use their gifts to bless the body of Christ, to bless the church family, and we should honor them should be people who do that. And not just people who honor kind of official ministries. A lot of the stuff we get, and you can read this if you go on the, the post we'll, we'll put on there tomorrow, a lot of it is, is, is a, a wife honoring a husband. Is someone just honoring someone that did something small in their life that really wasn't small, it made a big deal. And imagine, just imagine if that became part of how we thought. And not just how we thought, but what we said and what we did. It'd be incredibly powerful. So genuine love adopts a family mindset, and genuine love uh, is eager to honor other people. 
Now, one of the things that has struck me as I've studied this passage and as I've been preparing these sermons is that every part of what we see commanded here in Romans 12, every single bit of it is fulfilled perfectly by Jesus. And this is important to see, because if you forget that, you'll think that Christianity is just about working hard to be a really loving person. And you will forget that it is Jesus who has perfectly done this on our behalf, and because Jesus has done this, and because Jesus has loved this way, he now empowers us to be new people in him, right? The, the scripture back in, in Romans eight twenty nine said that we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. So God is working us to become more like Christ. And as we become more like Christ, we become more like these things. Just think about it for a moment. How does Jesus fulfill the idea of adopting a family mindset? Well, if there was anyone that had his family just fine, it was Jesus. God the Son, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in heaven for eternity together doing just fine things. And Jesus takes on flesh and inhabits a world filled with creatures, the creator living among his creatures. And he submits himself to be a son with a mom and a stepdad and brothers and sisters. And then he goes and he lives throughout his life and he, he lives perfectly in obedience to his authorities and then he lives in obedience to God his Father. And then he dies on the cross, opening up a way for us to be then adopted by God the Father, thus becoming brothers and sisters in Christ. When Jesus teaches us to pray, what does he say? He says, our Father. We are family in Christ. Jesus fulfilled that. And Jesus empowers us now to see it that way. And Jesus also was incredible at honoring people. He wasn't disrespectful. He wasn't dismissive. He listened. He looked at people. He encouraged them. And listen, part of the application of this message is if we're going to try to honor one another, we should really live our lives to honor God. We should really live our lives to honor Jesus. But here's the thing. You can't outdo Jesus in showing honor. You can't do it. You can't outdo him. You can show him a lot of honor, and we should, and we will, but you can't outdo him in showing honor. You can't outdo him in showing respect and esteem. Jesus did the ultimate of that on the cross. I love this quote by Propaganda. He's a hip-hop artist. He says this. He says, but worth, value, and beauty is not determined by some innate quality but by the length for which the owner would go to possess them. And broken and ugly things, just like us, are stamped excellent with ink tapped in wells of divine veins. That's beautiful. You know what he's saying? We don't just have some inherent worth. Our worth is, is demonstrated by the length to which the owner would go to have us. And broken, messed up things like us are stamped excellent with ink tapped by divine veins. Which means that Jesus paid the ultimate cost, right? You go, what is something worth, right? You can look up, you want to sell your car, you go, Kelly Blue Book, here's what it's worth. Well, maybe 
something is worth only what someone else will pay for it. Right? If you've got a baseball card collection, you go, well, this one's worth $50,000. Well, maybe, only if you can get some Yahoo to buy it for that much. It's only worth what someone will pay. And what did Jesus pay to have us? He paid it all. He paid the ultimate price. Which doesn't mean that we're more valuable than God. It doesn't mean that that God's glory uh, came secondary to Jesus' desire to honor us. But it does mean you can't outdo Jesus in showing honor. And listen, if Jesus has shown that kind of honor to everyone in this room who knows him and loves him and who is part of his family, then so should we. We can't dismiss a brother or sister in Christ. Well, I'm not like them or or they were mean to me. That wasn't it for Jesus. Jesus still honored them and so must we. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for how it was demonstrated by Christ on the cross. Thank you for how he has made us family and he has honored us. And uh, now, Lord Jesus, we want to return honor to you. We can't repay you. We don't even want to try. But we can, out of gratitude and out of joy, express that you are worthy of respect and honor and esteem. There's no one like you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 This is our chance to respond. If you're new to the church, this is a time where we give every individual room a chance to respond to what they just heard.